Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So excited to have you joining us today for part two on the subject of overcoming temptation. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you want to make the act of confessing your sins as pleasant as possible? Well, this is what you got to do. Make a full, not a partial confession. That's the message from a recent study conducted by researchers in the United States and in Israel. That research project is entitled, I Cheated, But Only a Little. It's based on a series of studies involving over 4,000 people. You know, the researchers found that people who partially confessed a transgression actually felt worse than those who did not confess at all. The author of this study had a surprisingly biblical angle on the results. He said, confessing to only part of the guilt is one of transgression's most attractiveness, and a lot of people do this at the expense of confessing the entire episode. And so as a result of only partially confession, they are driven with guilt. I want you to know, you can be set free. You can be set free from the power of temptation. And we're looking at James chapter number 4, verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. And so we learned yesterday, if we're going to be successful in overcoming temptation, number one, we must be submissive, submitting ourselves completely to God. You know, when you submit to God, you are tapping into His power to overcome temptation. Total surrender to Christ taps in total power of Christ to overcome temptation. We learn, secondly, if we're going to be successful in overcoming temptation, we must be strategic. Part of our strategy is being ready to resist the devil. As we think about resistance, it's hard because the enemy is slick. Uh, He will make something sinful. He'll make it feel so comfortable, so alluring, something that you feel like you just got to have it, right? But in the end, it kills. So don't put yourself in temptation's way. Uh, We learn, thirdly, that if we're going to be successful in overcoming temptation, we must be systematic. Wash your hands, sinners. Now, I think James is kind of doing a play here on the ceremonial cleansing that the Pharisees prescribed to, right? There was a whole system uh, to washing your hands. There was a certain time to do it. There was a certain way to do it. So James is here taking that ceremonial washing and saying, fess up, confess up when you mess up. Confess of your sins. Jesus alludes to this in Luke chapter 11. He says that you should not worry so much on the outside of washing the cup, but start by washing the inside, and then you'll be set free. So be systematic. Give a full confession of that sin. Now, when we think about full confession— Max Licato shows the power of honest confession. 
He writes in one of his books that ever since his high school days, when he and a buddy got themselves sick drinking a case of quarts of beer, he says, ever since that episode, I have liked beer. And he says, I like it in all different ways. Out of the keg, on the tap, bottle, or frosty mug, it doesn't matter to me. I like beer. But he says, I also know that alcoholism, it haunts my family ancestry. He says, I have early memories of following my father through the halls of rehab centers to see his sister. And similar scenes repeated themselves with other relatives for decades. Beer doesn't mix well with my family's DNA. So at the age of 21, I swore off beer. I swore off alcohol. But then he says, uh, a few years back, something resurrected my cravings. At some point, I reached for a can of brew instead of a can of soda. And as quick as you can pop the top, I was a beer fan again. Uh, Once in a while, then uh, once a week, and then a once a day beer fan. I kept my preferences to myself. No beer at home. That's my daughters think less of me. Uh, No beer in public. Who knows who might see me? None at home. None in public places. Uh, That leaves only one option. Convenience store parking lots. For about a week, I was that guy in the car drinking out of a brown paper bag. Now, I don't know what resurrected my cravings, but I remember what stunted them. En route to speak at a men's retreat, I stopped for my daily purchase. I walked out of the convenience store with a beer pressed against my side, scurried into my car for fear of being seen, opened the door, climbed in, and opened a can. Then it dawned on me. I had become the very thing that I hate. I had become a hypocrite, a pretender, two-faced, acting one way, living another. I had written sermons about people like me, Christians who care more about appearance than integrity. It wasn't the beer, but the cover-up that nauseated me. So what happened with my hypocrisy? First, I threw the can of beer into the trash. Next, I sat in the car for a long time, just praying. Then I scheduled a visit with our church elders. I didn't embellish or downplay my actions. I just confessed them. And they, in turn, pronounced forgiveness over me. Jim Potts, a dear, silver-haired saint, reached across the table and put his hand on my shoulder and said something like this, What you did was wrong, but what you are doing tonight is right. God's love is great enough to cover your sin. Trust His grace. After talking to the elders, I spoke to the church. At our midweek gathering, I once again told the story. I apologized for my duplicity and requested the prayers of the congregation. What followed was a refreshing hour of confession in which other people did the same. The church was strengthened, not weakened by our honesty. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. Can you think about how your life and the life of your family and the life of your church could be transformed if you just fessed up when you messed up? If you would wash your hands, you sinners, and you would realize that full disclosure 
is what brings healing. It doesn't make you weaker. It makes you stronger. So we've learned so far, if we're going to be successful in overcoming temptation, we've got to be submissive to Christ. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you, and He'll empower you to overcome those temptations. We've got to be strategic. We've got to resist the devil. We've got to flee from him sometimes, especially when it comes to the matter of sexual sins. And then number three, we've got to be systematic. We've got to confess our sins. You see, when you fall short of the glory of God, 1 John 1, 9 is there for you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, there's a fourth point that we've got to cover. If you want to be successful in overcoming temptation, you got to be single-focused. James says to purify your hearts, you double-minded. So your heart is dual-minded, and so James is reminding us not to be double-minded, but be single-minded in living a life of purity, a life of holiness. You know, the Bible says a lot about its power. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, the Word of God, it's alive, it's active, it is sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. You see, the Word of God here is the written Word of God. It's the spoken Word of God. The ESV says that the Bible is living and it's active. You know, the description of the Bible as living means that it has this vital power that is inherent in itself. You see, the Word of God is able to accomplish what God has intended it to accomplish. You see, when we preach the Word of God, the Holy Spirit brings God's desires, effects. The Bible is unlike any other book. Whatever emotional or social effects that may produce, it brings about a long-lasting, supernatural change within a person. That's why Paul reminded the Roman believers in Romans chapter 10, and he reminds us today, faith comes from hearing the Word, and the Word about Christ. That's how we grow in our faith. You know, Jesus likened the word to the seed in the parable of the sower. He says the Bible is not dead, but it's living. It has the ability to bring forth life abundantly. You know, seeds produce a crop. And so the single purpose of our lives should be to be like Jesus. Oh, you may have messed up in the past. We all have messed up in the past, right? Paul addresses this, and he says, I haven't achieved, but I focus on one thing. I forget all the things in the past, and I look forward to what lies ahead. You see, when we give in to sin, all of a sudden, we become plagued by our past. We become guilt-ridden because we recall the bad that we did yesterday. But if we can forget the past and, and move forward to what lies ahead, we will be set free. You know, D.L. Moody was a great pastor of yesteryear and founded the Moody Bible Institute and has a church in Chicago named after him. And he had a wonderful ministry. 
Somebody accused D.L. Moody one day of having a one-track ministry. This was his response. Well, I suppose they are right about what they say of me. They say that he's a radical, he's a fanatical, he only has one idea. Well, uh, the one idea that I have is a glorious idea. I would rather have that said of me than that he is a man of 10,000 ideas and he does nothing with them. You see, the chief end of man is to glorify God. That's why we exist. We are a one-track ministry, a one-track people. Our goal is to bring glory to Christ. When we focus on the future and we focus on what the Lord can do through us, forgetting the past, we bring glory to Him. So don't let minor setbacks upset you. Don't let them rob you of your joy. One day there was a professor and he had a big classroom full of students. And he asked his class, if you had $86,400, $86,400, and somebody stole $10 from you, would you throw away $86,390 and use all that money to try to get that $10 back? Or would you just let it go? All the students said in unison, they would just let the $10 go. It's not worth losing $86,390 chasing after 10 bucks. And so he told them, you know, you have 86,400 seconds every day. And this time is much more valuable than money. You can always work for more money. But once a second passes, you can never get it back. Every time somebody upsets you, it probably took 10 seconds. So why do we throw away another 86,390 seconds worrying about it or being upset? We all make this mistake. And it is time to start letting the little things go. Spend most of your time glorifying God. Don't waste your life on insignificant matters you will discover that you will be set free. You'll be able to resist temptation. If you have your focus on Christ, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Always focusing on Him. Always thinking about Him. Always praising Him. You discover that you have a power that you never thought was available. And it's right there at your disposal. You can tap into it 24-7. I want to encourage you today. If you really want to overcome temptation, draw near to God. Submit to Him. Resist the devil. Be systematic. Confess your sins. When you mess up, fess up. Be single-focused. And then number five, if you want to have success in overcoming temptation, you got to be sincere. James says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Now, repentance is unpopular because we are addicted to justifying our own actions and pointing out the evil in others. Now, if we really looked at our own self-centeredness, our own pride, one guy said, if I really did this, I'd have to admit that I am also a hypocrite. I am also a moral failure. You see, part of temptation involves deception. We are deceived. I want to spend just a moment 
talking about the difference between an apology and a confession. You know, it seems like we get a lot of public confessions by fallen heroes and fallen politicians and sports figures and business executives and and sometimes even pastors. There was a book that was written called The Art of Public Grovel, and the author offers this helpful distinction. An apology is an expression of regret. I am sorry. A confession is an admonition of fault. I am sorry because I did wrong. I sinned. You see, apologies addresses the audience. Confession implies an interchange that will be made manifested in outward action. You see, there's a big difference between an apology and a confession. When we look at having success in overcoming sin, James reminds us we should grieve, mourn, and wail. When was the last time you grieved over your sin? That you realize that the way that you lived has so brought a reproach to Christ that you grieved over that sin. Oh, I'm not talking about the fact that you won't be forgiven of that sin. I'm talking about you recognize the depth of your sin. You know, sin will always cost us more than we want to pay. Sin will always take us further than we want to go. The Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is death. And so James tells us that we will have success in overcoming temptation when we get to the point where we grieve and we mourn and we wail over our sin. Now, this is something that shows true remorse. You know, true remorse of our sins turns into a sincere turning from our sins. Let me give you an Old Testament passage that might help us to have a deeper understanding of this. In 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah comes to all the people and he says this, Now, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal, then follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. You see, they couldn't turn from their sin until they first acknowledged who they were following. They had to make a choice. They had to make a decision. If God is God, let's follow him. And if we're going to follow him, we're going to have to turn from this sin. We're going to have to mourn over our sin. But if Baal is God, well, just go ahead and follow him. You see, there's no third alternative here. It's either you're going to follow God or you're going to follow Baal. There's no meet me halfway. You know, Jesus said, there's two roads. There's a narrow road and there's a broad way that leads to destruction. And Jesus says, many go down that broad way, but there's a narrow way and few there go in, says Jesus. It's almost like our culture now has attempted to create a third way. Well, how about a middle road, right? Can you meet me halfway? No, 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 there's no no middle way. If the Lord is Lord, then follow him. If Baal be Baal, then follow him. You know, your life can be radically changed when you give yourself completely over to the Lord. When you grieve and you mourn and you wail, you're being sincere. You're under severe conviction. It's not just that you're guilty or you're feeling guilt over what you've done. You're under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that what you have done has displeased God. So you confess, you grieve, you mourn. You know, when this happens, things radically change in your life. 
you'll change your outlook. But somebody said a kind word can really go a long way. Why are so many people reluctant to give this unsolicited praise to others? It may simply be that we underestimate how much we can help others when we are forgiven and we can reach out and help others. We can be a blessing to others. There was a study that was published by a psychology bulletin, and the researchers asked people to approach somebody of the same gender, a stranger, right, and offer a sincere compliment. The compliment givers at first felt very anxious prior to the interaction because they predicted that their compliment would be negatively received, but their predictions were not accurate at all. Overall, they significantly underestimated how flattered, happy, and pleased people would feel about being complimented. They also significantly overestimated how awkward or annoyed the recipients would feel. One psychologist suggests we think about how we would feel if we received the compliment. And remember, they feel the same way. You know, a few kind words go a long way. You know, when I have been set free from my sins, it changes the whole trajectory of my conversations. When I am overcome with sin, when guilt is weighing heavy on me, I try to look out at others and and I look at their guilt as well and I look at their sins and then I get into this comparison game like, I may have done something wrong, but I'm not nearly as bad as, as that person. And I can't encourage them. I can't lift them up because I am grief-stricken over my sin. Oh, but when we are set free from our sin, we have the reward of the Spirit of God living within us. We can experience God's amazing grace that will set us free. Well, I'm just about out of time, and so I want to spend the last few minutes of our time together encouraging you to join me tomorrow because we're going to finish up this study on overcoming temptation tomorrow. But I want you to know there is a lot of rewards if you will live a life filled with grace. In her book, Amazing Grace, the writer and the poet, Kathleen Norris, shares what she calls the scariest story. It's the scariest story she's ever heard in the Bible. Norris and her husband were visiting a man named Arlo. Arlo was a a rugged, self-made man who was facing terminal cancer. Well, during their visit, Arlo started talking about his grandfather, a sincere Christian. The grandfather gave Arlo and his bride a wedding present. It was an expensive leather Bible with their names printed in gold lettering. Arlo had left it in the box and never opened it. But for months afterward, his grandfather kept asking him if he liked the Bible. Arlo told Norris, the wife had written a nice thank you note and thanked him in person, but somehow he couldn't let it lie. He always asked me about the Bible. Finally, Arlo grew curious enough to open the Bible. He said, the joke was on me. I finally took that Bible out of the closet, and I found that granddad 
had placed a $20 bill at the beginning of the book of Genesis and at the beginning of every book of the Bible, over $1,300 in all. And he knew I'd never find it. I want you to know, there are rewards within God's Bible, within the Word of God. But you won't find those rewards until you open up the Word of God. Page after page after treasure, page after page after blessing. We are to study God's Word. We are to understand God's Word. We are to read God's Word. We're to apply God's Word to our lives. It will bring you unforetold fortune. I'm not talking about $1,300 worth of fortune. I'm talking about a lifetime that will bring blessing upon your life, blessing upon those that you love. It gives you the ability to overcome temptation because you can quote God's word right back in the face of the enemy when he tries to lead you in temptation. The Bible is powerful. It is a weapon of offense that is used to defeat the enemy. So I pray today that you'll be victorious. If I can pray for you today, would you shoot me a text message? 252-267-2365. Join me tomorrow as we wrap up this series on overcoming temptation by the Word of God. That number one more time, 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.